Good to see you all here today. Glad that you're able to join us on this Sunday. I want you to turn to somebody next to you and say, I'm glad to be here. Sometimes you just got to tell yourself, right? You just got to just amp yourself up and say, I am glad to be here today. We're in our final message in our series on the book of Romans. And so if you got your Bibles, turn to Romans 12. Let me tell you a little bit about the book of Romans. Now you're saying, wait, we've just spent seven weeks in it. Haven't you told us a little bit already? Yeah, I have. But I want, I want you to understand something about how Romans is structured. Paul does this a lot of the times in the letters he writes. He has a section where he talks about theology or what God has done for us. And then he has a section at the end where he talks about what we have to do in response to what God has done. Chapters 1 through 11 in Romans are all about what God has done for us. Jesus has died for us when we didn't deserve it. God has sent his spirit to live in our lives. He's, he's made it possible for us to be dead to the sin in our lives, but be alive to who he is. And so over and over he just talks about this is what God has done. And you've got to understand that always in our lives, God has to do something in our lives before we respond. What I mean is you can't just start doing the right things. That doesn't save you. That's not what saves you. God's got to act first, and then comes what we're supposed to do. And so chapter 12 of Romans starts off with the, now here's what you're supposed to do. Here's all that God has done, 11 chapters of what God has done. Now here's a couple chapters of what you need to do. And so I want us to look today at Romans chapter 12 and learn from what Paul writes. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Paul says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. Paul says this, because God's done all of these things for you, here's what you're supposed to do now. Present your bodies as living sacrifices. Now, we don't, we don't do a whole lot with sacrifices in our world, right? When's the last time you offered a sacrifice, like cut up a goat and offered it as a sacrifice? If you have, you're kind of weird, okay? I'm a little scared now. It was probably some weird ritual that you saw in a horror movie. Don't do that. But sacrifices used to be a normal part of life in the ancient world. The Jewish people, as they were worshiping the one true God, would offer sacrifices to him. In fact, he asked them to offer sacrifices. In the Roman world, and this was written to Romans in, living in Rome, they offered sacrifices to their false gods. People just offered sacrifices. Now, here's what they understood about sacrifices that we sometimes forget. A sacrifice is dead, right? If you, have, if, if you go to, to sacrifice an animal that you've killed and it stands up on the altar, you've done something wrong. You need to take out your 410 and shoot it again, right? You need to make sure that thing is not going to keep moving. I was, I was in Papua New Guinea a number of years ago, and, and they love pigs in Papua New Guinea, now to which I can say amen, hallelujah. But they haven't even discovered bacon yet. Like, they didn't have bacon down there. I'm like, guys, you have no idea. The wonders that await you in your future. You love pigs, and someday you're going to love bacon too. But they, but they eat pigs, not all the time, but they eat pigs at special occasions. So we were down there visiting. One of our last days there, they, they had this big... They cooked this pig and had this big celebration. But they don't just go to the store and buy a ham to cook. You go to the market and you buy a living, breathing, moving pig. And then you kill it, and then you cook it. Right? This, is, this is how life is meant to be lived. This is the circle of life. Right? This is Lion King, straight up Lion King right here, the circle of life. And so how you kill it, how they kill it, does not make sense to me, but is what they do. They get a big stick, essentially a baseball bat. And little piggy is going, coming back from market 
this little piggy came back from market, and he's sitting there just minding his own business, and they will swing and they will hit the pig on the snout. And if they're good enough at doing this, they'll kill it first hit. So they, they came to us, the Americans there, they're like, hey, you guys want to kill this pig? And me and the other guy were like, sure, we'll kill this pig. Of course we will, you know. But he was the baseball player, so I said, let, let Trey give it a swing first. So Trey comes up with this stick, and he just, all he's got, he, he hadn't played baseball for a few years, but he just, everything he had just swung through. He missed the snout, hit the forehead, left a dent in the forehead, but didn't kill the pig. And I didn't know, this is traumatic, I'm sorry, y'all. I didn't know that pigs could scream. This pig screamed. It, where did that come from? And so all of us, are, all of us Americans are watching this. You know, the Papua New Guineans are like, let's get some food. They're, they're, they hear their scream. They're like, dinner's about to be served. All of us are there, and our faces are white. And then, and if, sorry, if you have a weak stomach, I'm sorry about this. It, it starts to bleed from its nose, and it's like blood and mucus dripping down. And we're all about to lose it over here. And my friend Trey is holding this baseball bat stick, just white as, as a sheet. So he couldn't, he hands, he's like, he hands it to me, he's like, you want to finish the job? I'm like, I'm not touching the thing. So they go, and the Papua New Guineans beat this thing to death. And then they throw it on top of the fire to burn all the hair off so we can cook it and eat it. And it's not dead yet. And it starts kicking on the fire. And all of us are losing our lunch over there. We're just like, what has happened? I'm a murderer, a pig killer. Who am I? And this, this pig is just kicking on the fire. Eventually, it dies, and we cook it. And the best thing about Papua New Guineans is they don't like the pork loin. They like the hard, tough meat. And so all the Americans got the pork loin, and it's one of the best pork loins I've ever had. But every bite, all I could hear was the screaming pig. It was so bad. What we got to understand, when Paul talks about sacrifices, that's a sacrifice. It's bloody. It's messy. It's hard. It's not something that's like, oh, a beautiful, let me bring my sacrifice to the Lord, just the beautiful sacrifice. No, it's like, let me beat a pig to death. That's a sacrifice. It's bloody. It's gruesome. And so Paul says here, present your bodies as living sacrifices. I'm like, Paul, what does that mean? Do you realize in the Bible, the words living and sacrifice never appear together except for right here. Those words never appear because the sacrifice is death. It's destruction. It's bloody. It's gruesome. It's painful for the sacrifice and the sacrifice dies. So you never talk about something being alive or something living when you're talking about a sacrifice. A sacrifice in the, in the ancient times is what you would burn and offer to God so God would have favor on you and bless you. But Paul here is flipping it. He said, because God's already blessed you, become a sacrifice. But not just any kind of sacrifice. Become a living sacrifice. What does Paul mean here? Paul means that we should be a sacrifice. We should be dead to sin. We should be dead to sin and offer our lives to God. Does a sacrifice have a vote about what happens to it next? It doesn't. It's dead. A sacrifice is offered up to God. So in the same way, our lives, we should be dead to our sin, offered up to God, say, God, whatever you want, I'm here. I'm going to do it. At the same time, you should be alive. Because in Christ, in Jesus, we're made alive. We're made more alive than we've ever been before. Spiritually, we're made alive. Even our relationships in a new way can come alive in Jesus. So we're, we're living sacrifices. We're dead. We're beat over the head like a pig. And then we're alive in the same time. It's, it's this weird thing. It's just like words that don't go together. Like, like, for instance, the word humble does not go together with the words University of Alabama football fan. You know what I'm saying? If you, guys have, if, you're, if you are one or you've known one, they are not humble. They are the most arrogant, brash, obnoxious people because their team always beats my team. All right? They just, I hate them. I hate them. And, and as much as I love them, I hate them. 
Uh, words, words that don't go together, like the word good and the word cat. Can I get an amen? Somebody be with me on this. Like, there is no such thing as a good cat. Oh, for all the guys here, the words, th- these words don't go together. Enjoyable, kick in the crotch, right? There's nothing about those words that, that work together. They don't work. Some words don't, are not supposed to go together. They're contradictions. They, are, they go against. It's self-contradictory to say these things. It's self-contradictory to say you should be a living sacrifice. It goes against what you would think. And these words have never appeared, as far as we know, in anything that was written, especially in the Bible, until Jesus came. After Jesus came and he rose from the dead and went to be with the Father, Peter, one of his followers, was, was preaching and telling others about this. And he says this in Acts chapter 3. He's talking to people, all the Jewish people who were part of killing Jesus, and he says, you killed, listen to this, you killed the author of life. Talk about a paradox there. The one who created life itself was killed by his creation. Because of Jesus, because of the paradox of his life, the fact that he was killed even though he had created all of life, he let himself be killed by his creation. Now we can be people who are dead to sin, but we're alive in Jesus. You are a living, walking, breathing contradiction if you're following Jesus because you are a living sacrifice, dead to yourself, alive to Jesus. And if if you really want to take seriously what it means for God to have done all this for you, to die on the cross for your sins, to give you his spirit into your life, you've got to understand that your life has to look weird from the outside. You've got to be something different. If you're just blending in with everything that the world is or says or does, you're not going to be a living sacrifice. You've got to have something that is so different that people see it and they think, that is what I want. So how does a living sacrifice live? What does it look like for you to be a living sacrifice? Because I read something like that, and honestly, that's a little abstract for me. I'm a very concrete guy. I want you to give me the five things I'm supposed to do this week, and I will do them. I'm a list guy. I'll check every single one of them off the list. But Paul says, be a living sacrifice, and I'm like, okay. So, like, I got to go, like, be like a pig and get killed and burnt? Like, what, what is, what's supposed to happen here, Paul? Paul says, living sacrifice, and then he explains how we're supposed to live as living sacrifices. He says this, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So don't be conformed, be transformed. Now, that word conformed is so interesting to me because everything in life will ultimately conform to its surroundings. If you're 20 years old here today and you're feeling good about life and about your body and you've just been on a run this morning and you're feeling good, wait until you're 60. Gravity changes things, right? The reality of this world of aging, life changes as you get older. I have a left knee that just hurts. Now, I'm I'm only 26 years old, but already I'm creaking at 26. I can only imagine what life is like at 66, right? We just, there's there's outside forces on our life that, that changes. The same is true spiritually, that there are forces on your life that change you. We give in, we conform. It's kind of like this. I've got a stool here. Now, I don't know about you guys. In fact, I'm looking at you, so I do know about you. When you're sitting on a chair, most of us kind of sit like this, right? Now, right now, everyone's everyone's like, oh, wait, do I sit like that? (laughs) This is conforming to something. What am I conforming to? Gravity. Literally, I'm letting the world, just like the earth itself, pull me down. You ever think about that? Like, every time gravity comes into your life, you're just letting the world tell you what's up. 
Like, I saw a guy running the other, yesterday, and he was running kind of like this, like leaning down. I'm like, dude, you're getting owned by the world right now. Like, the physical earth is owning you. When you're sitting and you're slouching, there is an outside force pulling on your body, pulling you down into a slouch. So to sit like this, which all, all of you are starting to do now, everyone's like, I don't, I don't slouch. No, I'm sitting up straight right now. To sit up straight means you have to actually exert force against an outside force on your life. Spiritually, the same thing is true. Spiritually, you will naturally conform to what's around you. You will naturally look like and live into your surroundings. In order to follow God, in order to be what he wants you to be as a living sacrifice, you have to intentionally, you won't accidentally do it, you have to intentionally say, I'm going to live my life by a different standard. I'm going to be a different kind of person. Because God has shown his love to me so much, I'm going to be a different kind of person. I'm not going to conform, I'm going to be transformed. Now when I hear the word transformed, I think, for, actually I think of Optimus Prime when I hear the word transformed. Transformers, anybody? You guys are acting like you're cultured. You're not cultured. You know what I'm talking about. I think it transforms, but the thing I think of next is just being a better person. Like, if I want to transform my life, I just need to get better habits. I just need to be, be a nicer person. I need to be a better person. That's not what Paul's talking about here. He says, don't conform to the external pressures of this world. Be transformed. And the word he uses for transformed is metamorpho. Turn to somebody next to you and say metamorpho. Met, you're like, metamorphosis, it's where we get our word metamorphosis from. Metamorphosis means, right, a change. It's like when a cute little caterpillar goes in a cute little cocoon and comes out a cute little butterfly. That's metamorphosis. There's a transformation that takes place. The word metamorpho only shows up four times in the Bible. And it really helps us to understand what the word means. The first two times, it's talking about a, a time when Jesus took three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John. Jesus had favorites. If you're, a, if you're a parent and you have favorites, it's okay. Jesus did too. So he had favorites. He took his three favorite disciples with him on top of a mountain. And they were there. And all, they're all sitting around just minding their own business. And suddenly it says, Jesus was metamorphosed. He was transformed. And his clothes and his face and everything was shining it was glorious. It was like he was living in an otherworldly body. They just saw him and they were amazed by it. He was transformed. In fact, God, the Father, was showing the glory of the Son, Jesus. He was showing who he really was, his true nature. So he was transformed. It talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, Paul tells this story about Moses. And this is, you can read about this in Exodus. Moses, who was leading the people of Israel, goes up on the mountain with God, Mount Sinai, and gets the Ten Commandments. This is actually the second time. You know the first, the first set of Ten Commandments Moses got, he actually broke because he got mad? That makes me feel better about my life. He broke, so God, actually, God the first time actually gave him the tablets. Second time, he's like, Moses, you've got to carve out those tablets yourself. So Moses is carving them out. He gets the second set of Ten Commandments. He comes down the mountain, and because he was in the presence of God's glory, it said his face was shining. Now part of me is like, yeah, I'm pretty sure that was just a nuclear bomb that went off. No, it was Moses' face was shining because he was in the presence of of the Lord. And he comes down, it's shining so much his brother Aaron actually takes a towel and puts it over his head. He's like, bro, that's too much. <laughs> that's just too much. And every time that Moses would go to be with God, he'd take the towel off and go be with God. And then he'd come back out and his face would be glowing. He'd put a towel back on. Super weird, right? This is what Paul says. He says, as you are following God, you are going to be transformed from glory to even more glory. That you're going to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. So transformation is not being a better person. Listen to this. Transformation is when the human reflects the glory of God. 
It's when you in your own boring little life with your own just average self waking up Monday morning to go do your life, it's when suddenly your face is shining because the glory of the Lord is transforming you. That's what Paul means when he says be transformed. He doesn't mean just be a better person. He means spend so much time with the Lord, be so in in touch with the Lord that his glory actually changes what you look like. And that's the point of what he's saying is is don't don't just be a better person. Let everything about your life be transformed. God wants you to reflect his glory, not blend in with the world. In fact, Paul is writing here, chapters 12 through 15. It's all about, hey, don't blend in with the world. Be weird. Can you just be different? Like, this is, this is what he says. He says this in chapter 12, verse 10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another, listen to this, above yourselves. Think about the last job you worked, or maybe the job you're working right now. Is it a place where all the coworkers are like, no, 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 I don't want the raise this year. You get the raise. No, I don't want credit for the project. No, I want you to get the credit. That's not natural. That's not conforming. That is letting the glory of God be shown through you when you love, live in love like that. What about this? In chapter 12, verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and don't curse them. Like what? Like someone comes up and they trash me, they stab me in the back, they cut me down, and I'm supposed to say, Bless you, son. Thou shalt be exalted. Like, I'm supposed to bless them back? I love that he says, don't curse them. Like, Paul knows you. Right? He knows you. He knows that instead of blessing you, you'd be like, oh, yeah, I got a few words to say over you right now. And that's not, Paul says, don't do that. You got to let the glory of the Lord be reflected in who you are. Don't, don't curse people. Bless those, even the ones who persecute you. He goes on to say this, verse, chapter 12, verse 18. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, Live at peace with everyone. Uh, Hold up, Paul. Have you met my mother-in-law? Paul, have you met my my brother? Have you met my wife, Paul? Have you met them? I'm supposed to live at peace with everyone? I'm supposed to live at peace with the person who voted for the other candidate last presidential election? I'm supposed to live at peace with my crazy uncle who always posts political stuff on Facebook? I'm supposed to live at peace with everybody? Paul says, yeah. If you want the glory of the Lord to be shown in your life, everything possible, as far as it depends on you, you've got to live peaceably with everybody. That's a different kind of life. You're not conforming. You are being transformed. I'm going to go one more place that he says. He says this in chapter 15, verse 7. Accept one another just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. What does it look like to display the glory of God in your life? It means that when someone comes at you, you're going to accept them. You guys, when Jesus accepted us, we were still throwing punches at him. He accepted us when we were going against him, when we were undercutting him. He was accepting the people who put him on the cross and killed him. And Paul says, if you want to show the glory of the Lord in your life, you got to accept the people who are going to come at you and hurt you. Accept them. This is a different kind of life. It's a life that is against conforming to the world, but is being transformed by God's glory. It's kind of like when I, was, when I was seven or eight, I was at my aunt and uncle's house in Florida, and they had what has got to be the greatest sort of back porch for kids, but the worst one for adults, because they had Legos across the whole back porch. It was a screened-in porch, and I'm talking piles, 
We had mountains. We had thousands of dollars worth of Legos there, which means thousands of dollars worth of things you can step on as an adult and die every time you step on them. We would be out there playing all the time. I was playing on the back porch. I was seven or eight, and I look inside to the kitchen, and I see they're breaking out popsicles. Now, as a seven or eight-year-old, Legos are great, but popsicles and Legos, you've arrived. Like, what more is there to life? And so I see the popsicles, and so I take off running inside, and I'm running so hard to get my popsicle, and then I run right into a glass door. And I didn't realize there was a glass door between me and the popsicles. Now, I don't know if you've done this before, run into a glass door. Most of you, I know most of you, you probably do this about every day, right? It's just a constant thing. That is one of the most infuriating things because you saw nothing, and then suddenly you're stopped in your tracks by nothingness. I remember stepping back and staring at the popsicles. I still didn't see the glass door. And just being like, why can I not get a popsicle? Like, what is coming between me? And then it took me about 10, 15, 20 seconds, and I realized, oh, it's a door. And I opened the door, and I got my popsicle. Do you realize that, that for most of us, our lives are like that glass door? We don't look different. In fact, we just look like everything that's around us. We don't reflect God's glory. We just show everything that's around us. Everything that's in the world, everything that's, all the influences in our lives, we just show that off. We're not different. We're just showing through the exact same thing. And the call on our lives, because of what God has done for us, is to reflect, is to show God's glory. How do we do this? How are we transformed? Paul says this. It's very simple. You are transformed by the renewing of your mind. When this happens, he says, you're going to be able to understand what the will of God is. Well, that's big. You're going to be able to understand what the will of God is if you are transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does it mean for your mind to be renewed? It means that you have access to the way God views the world. When your mind is renewed, it's, it's not just that your, like your brain is. It's the way you view the world. It's your thoughts. It's your perceptions. It's everything about your outlook on life has to be made new. Most of us have an outlook on life that is very self-centered. That is, we're seeking our own benefit. We're seeking our own pleasure. We're seeking our own, our own, our own. Some of us, at our very best, seek the benefit of our kids or those with us that we care about, but in some ways that still rebounds back to us. We're very self-focused people. And what Jesus wants is for our minds to be renewed so much that we actually have God's perspective on the world. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 2.6, we have the mind of Christ. I love when Paul says something like that because you're like, what an arrogant, stuck-up guy. He says, we have the mind of Christ. If you're following Jesus, if you're led by his spirit, you can have the mind, the way of viewing the world that Jesus does. And so Paul says, let's, let your mind be renewed to the point where your, your romantic relationships are not about sexual fulfillment. They're about loving the other person well. That your life and what you're going for, your purpose, is not about your personal success. It's about honoring God and loving other people. Let yourself be, be renewed to the point where your number one priority is not making as much money as you can, but is loving others well and loving others well with your money. So it just all shifts. That your purpose is something different than what you are focusing on. And that's really the issue. Your mind starts to look like what you focus on. I don't know about you, I'm a very, very visual person. And this summer, my brother came back from college and brought his Wii U with Mario Kart 8. 
And, and I have had this dream. I, I used to play Mario Kart a lot in college, and they were just coming out as I was graduating with the Wii U and Mario Kart 8. And I never got to play them in college. And for years now, I've never played Wii U and Mario Kart 8. It's always been my dream to sit down in front of a big TV, just me, on my Wii U with the Mario Kart 8. And I got to do that this summer. Woke up early on a Saturday morning, no one else was around, and I just played my Mario Kart 8. I'm terrible at it. But I got better by the end of the summer. And what would happen is every time I'd play, and I live with a bunch of guys who are just really good at Mario Kart 8. Every time I'd play, I'd, I'd get beat, and I'd go to bed, and I'd close my eyes, and the first thing I saw was, usually it was, I usually had, um, uh, who did I have? Who, what was my character I used? Yoshi. I had white Yoshi on the car, and I would just, in, when I was sleeping, I would just see white Yoshi driving. Anybody like this? You do something a lot, and you just see it in your mind? This, this was me. Every night I'd go to bed if I played Mario Kart and I'd close my eyes and I didn't see sheep jumping over things. I saw white Yoshi getting whooped again. And that was all I saw over and over again. For most of us in life, where we put our attention is where our minds automatically go. It's where our minds automatically go. So for us, if you put your attention on yourself, on how much money you can get, on what you need, that's where your mind is going to end up. Your mind can't be renewed because you're focusing on the same old things. What Paul says is let your mind be renewed. How does that happen? Your mind is renewed when you let the Spirit of God renew it and when you focus on Scripture. Now, this is, these are Sunday school answers, but they're so true. Scripture and the Spirit are the keys to having a renewed mind. You have to spend time in God's Word to understand what His perspective on life is, what His outlook on life is, what, how He wants you to live, what He wants you to do. And then every day as you face situations, you have to let the Spirit of God speak to you and guide you and lead you into what you're supposed to do. And that's the only way you're going to get a renewed mind is as you let God speak to you through his word and through his spirit. As he does that, Paul says, you're going to get a renewed mind, and that renewed mind is going to bring God's glory in your life. I think a lot of us live life, we get caught up, you know, we come to church on Sunday and, and we, we get encouraged and strengthened, but when we get back into our weeks... We get so busy and so caught up, our minds are just going every which way, that we can't keep in mind that we're supposed to reflect the glory of God. The problem is when we don't do that, we actually live lives that are subpar. We live lives that are below what God wants for us. Because God wants lives for us that reflect his glory. Not because it makes him feel good, but because he knows that's how we were designed to be. And that's what people around us need. Can you imagine a life, if you go out this week, a life where... You give honor to other people, that you bless other people when they persecute you. When you show love to them, when someone's coming to you and maybe they need, they need someone, a shoulder to cry on, or maybe they're just mad and they need someone to accept them like Jesus accepted us. Can you imagine being that kind of people? Like the difference it would make, not only in your life as you were transformed, but also in the lives of everyone around us. Paul says, because God has done all of this for you, because he's died on the cross and given himself for you. Now he's calling for you to reflect his glory. To be transformed by a new mind. To be transformed so you can love other people and know what God's will is and then do God's will. God wants you to reflect his glory, not blend in with the world. And too many of us, once Monday morning hits, we want to blend in with the world. I believe that the Spirit of God is speaking to some of us today. He's challenging us at certain points. He's challenging us to give up our own way of viewing the world and seek God's way. He's challenging us to spend more time in Scripture, more time listening to the Spirit of God. 
He might be challenging you just to, just to say, I actually need transformation still. Like a lot of times we reach this point with God where we stop thinking about or being concerned with transformation. But he might be challenging you and saying, no, you still need transformation. If the Spirit of God is speaking to you, he's asking you to do something with him. Let's go to prayer right now as we seek God in our lives. Father, for each person who is here, who needs to be transformed by your glory, who needs to be transformed by your love, I pray that you would be with us, that you would speak to us in this time. Holy Spirit, we know you're present here. We know you're active here, and so we ask that you would speak to us. And as you speak to us, God, help us to respond like we should, to seek you, to seek the transformation only you can bring. And I want to turn it to, to each one of us for a second as we remain in prayer. Is the Spirit of God speaking something to you? Is he challenging you in some way? Is he convicting you? Is he calling you to obedience? Because if he is, you need to respond. And, and you may be the only one who understands what that is, who knows what it is, who knows about it. But the Spirit is asking you to make that change, even if no one else sees that change. Is there anyone here who's willing to say, there's more transformation God wants to do. There's more he's calling me to. In fact, I know something he's calling me in my life to do right now. Could you just slip up a hand? I want to pray for you. All you're doing is showing on the outside what's going on on the inside. Lots of hands up. Anybody else? Let me bless you as you have your hands raised. Jesus, thank you for each person who's willing to say, the Holy Spirit's speaking to me. Something's got to shift. And Father, for the people who've been bold enough to raise hands right now and say, God's calling me to something, I pray this week you would help them reflect your glory that they would show who you are to the world around them, that you would transform them by renewing their minds, by making them new, by drawing them closer to you.